1: Welcome to Write Good, the podcast that helps you write good. In this episode, we're not going to talk about strong female characters. Instead, we're going to talk about deeply flawed female characters – women who make mistakes, women who do bad things, women who aren't easy to love or even like, women like me, and maybe women like you. Joining us once again is filthcore queen Gretchen Fulker Martin. Thank you so much for coming back.
2: Thank you for having me again. I'm always glad to be on. Yeah, that's great. Our, our guests
1: have absolutely loved you, like every single time you've been on. So, <laughs>
2: And, you know, as a that's loathsome great. woman, I felt like I, I really couldn't sit this one out in good conscience. <laughs> great. Because <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm,
1: I know I've definitely gotten this, but I'm sure you've gotten this too. Have audiences dismissed your female characters from your work as unlikable?
2: Oh, all, all the fucking time for an unbelievable <laughs> variety of reasons. So, what are some examples? So, you you've read my no, my novella "No End Will Be Found," which is about uh, the witch trials of Wurzburg in the the sixteen hundreds, right?
1: I've taken a little bit of a look at it. Okay. I'm so sorry, it's on part of
2: my <laughs> no, don't, don't sweat it, don't sweat it. It's a very simple book. The whole thing is just that a woman gets accused of witchcraft and tortured and executed. Mm. It's like 50 pages long, so I'm not spoiling much. Okay. And there's this this one review of it where the person is like, well, I really can't identify with this woman because she's just so (laughs) passive and she doesn't do anything and like, there's no character development. She just gets hurt a lot and then dies. I don't know. Yeah. I really didn't find it very appealing. Like in what universe do you think the point of that story is to appeal to you?
1: Right. And it's like you know, if you ever read a history book, like that's what it how it went for right. most of the women.
2: Like here's the thing about witchcraft. Here's the thing about jail. <laughs> Basically no one gets out of it.
1: Yeah, it's real hard to get out of there. It's not
2: easy. Right. When they put you in a big box and you can't fit through the windows, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh,
1: where you stay.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's... uh, I've seen a lot of things like that where it's like, well, these are really just stories about women who go through life getting hurt and hurt and hurt and getting worse and becoming, you know, embittered, terrible people. And it's like, yes, that's... That's the whole point. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Do you think that going through a bunch of awful shit makes you nice? It sure doesn't. So I get that, or I get like, well, what's the point of spending time with this person? They're so horrible.
1: Right. Or I couldn't find a reason to care about them.
2: Right. That's that's a classic.
1: I've gotten a lot of that. And, and <laughs> it's fun... And it kind of surprised me, too. Like, I've seen it with with some of my characters, a character that a lot of people said, I couldn't figure out a reason to care about her. It was this... I wrote a short story called Morbier, and there's a major character in there named Mara, who is, depending on your interpretation of the story, either a woman who's been through some kind of fucking horrific, horrific, like, long-going trauma so bad that her mind just totally blocked it out and replaced it with a complete fantasy, or a time traveler from a dystopian future. And it's like, well, why wouldn't you care about that? That, to me, strikes me as an interesting person. Like, I would, either way, I would wanna know. But I I don't, no, she wasn't nice enough or she was a little weird because I think you would be weird and would be kind of tough to open up to people after, you know, if you were in either of those situations. Right,
2: I don't wanna speak for other people or set up a straw man here Mm -hmm. but i feel like a lot of the time when people say well i couldn't find a reason to care about her what they really mean is like well this is a person who in in life i would have no interest in being around or giving my time to right you know that this person is ugly and their life is ugly right and i don't want it
1: I don't want to be this person. This person is not aspirational. (laughs) Right. This person is not a a great role model for me, an adult who for some reason still needs role models, even though I'm, you know, in my 30s. (laughs) You're supposed to be the role model now. You don't need role models. You're supposed to be the role model. You're 30-something. Right. That's kind of the
2: whole idea.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 And it's funny because I haven't seen that as much with male characters with my male characters at all. I've, I've definitely, like, I tend to write characters who are flawed, but the female characters I've noticed over and over again get way more flack for being unlikable. Like, my protagonist in All of Me is a very self-destructive person because, again, she's a survivor of, like, terrible abuse, and a lot of abuse survivors in real life develop self-harm tendencies and, like, and, and people just hated her for that. It's like, how do you feel about real life survivors then? Because right. most survivors kind of have issues. I don't... I, <sighs>
2: <laughs> it's like even even when these people relate to a character by pitying them and like giving right. them some kind of parasocial or parafictional care, they want them to be a clean recipient. Yeah. You know, someone who it is uncomplicated to provide care for.
1: Right, right, and I mean in real life.
2: I just don't understand the ethos of interacting with fictional people as though they're real at all.
1: Right, there's this expectation that they have to be your friend, and it's like <laughs> they're not my friends.
2: They're not real. Right, like my dude. They're I not real. Do you not want to hang out with Humbert Humbert? <laughs> yeah. I would
1: not want to hang out with Holden Caulfield but I still like the book he's in. I I will still defend catcher in the rye. He right. he would drive me insane after 20 seconds of listening to him talk but like I still like the book cuz they're not real, they're not my friends.
2: I think <laughs> I probably would hang out with Ishmael and Well,
1: Yeah, yeah, they're fucking I'd hang out with Queequeg. He rocks. He's awesome. That's that seems true. Queequeg Kwee-Quag is cool as shit. I would love to hang out around Queequeg, but Kwee-Quag I'm probably is not. He's an cool anime enough.
2: character. He's just like a straight-up anime. Moby Dick is basically an anime. <laughs> it's so dramatic. Everyone is such a caricature, except for Ishmael, who's always like looking at things the wistfully guy. and reflecting on his past.
1: Ahab chasing the white whale, screaming, notice me, senpai.
2: <laughs> they should make a fucking Moby Dick anime.
1: Oh, God, they should. Honestly, it would...
2: Honestly, That yeah. would rip. It would be great. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) anyways,
1: but I have noticed, I don't get this kind of critique for male characters as much. I I do know people do sometimes gripe about unlikable male characters, but it's nowhere near as much.
2: There's also, I find when people do gripe about the awful men in my books, it's Mm. more just like, oh, this person's awful. There's not an expectation that they should be good. It's just like, well, I find them uninteresting. And that's the end of the conversation. Right, right, which is you know again, it's fine i'm I'm not over here telling yeah. anyone how to read a book, who has the time, right. but it I can't help but think that it's it's kind of like people approach fiction and male characters in fiction with sort of the proviso that they have a right to exist and that they don't need to be questioned or interrogated, mm. Um, whereas a woman like that character has to accomplish something in in like a meta narrative right. political sense like who is this representing what narrative right. is this forwarding and I, I i think that's fucking bullshit yeah like a, a a woman has every right to just run her goddamn mouth and say whatever awful shit she wants
1: right to just be without this expectation of being your friend of being likable, of being good. Right. Like you could, your existence, it you're just allowed to exist.
2: As the man said, <laughs> I am not an ambassador. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right, right. And I mean, I kind of expect that sort of sh- sort of shit from kind of old fashioned male chauvinist readers or something. But what I find disheartening is I see it very frequently from female readers. And that kind of breaks my heart because it's like do you need a woman to be ideal for you to care about her because i'm going to guess you're not a perfect person <laughs> no one is it's like how do you do you, how do you love yourself then how do you care about yourself
2: or your friends or anyone <laughs> around you i feel like we're so yeah. fucking stalled on like the powerful warrior princess
1: right right who's completely perfect and okay those are fine but like most of us aren't going to be that and that is a type of character who's specific to a type of media that's not for every fucking novel (laughs) right and that's not for the stories that i write
2: (sighs) it is disheartening at the same time i do see and interact with a growing community of women who are, are super into fiction who are more into sort of transgressive depictions of women and oh yeah you know like Women forward art that's made by women and for women. Um, you yeah, know, like the, the theory yeah. of art of the interior, like art that's intensely about the internal monologue and about the irreconcilable contradictions of living as a woman. Right. And and that gives me a lot of hope. You know, I love I love to talk to those people and hear from them and see what they like to read and what they find valuable. I think there's right. a really strong and growing community of people who believe in the power of art that is not about ideals or aspirations or or perfection. Right.
1: Right. Because, I mean, no matter what your ideal, no matter who you are, even politically, I think if your work's going to be entirely about ideals, it's going to be dehumanizing in some way. Yeah. Yeah. To to anyone who doesn't live up to those ideas, deals and like most, pretty n- nobody lives up one hundred percent to their ideals. I mean, come the fuck on,
2: right? It's a it's a rolling erasing. project.
1: Yeah, and you end up erasing so much of what's what's real and and he, and honestly, often what's kind of beautiful and wonderful about people is right. like their flaws and and their various quirks and and their their tragedies. Um,
2: this is, this is a really extreme example, but something I think about a lot is like the, the last few months of Fred Phelps's life, the, uh, the Westboro Baptist Church guy. Mm. He was super old. He was very sick. And one day he went to preach to this church that is composed like in majority by his own family. Right. And he talked about how he felt that he had made many mistakes in his life and in his his decisions about how to you know serve scripture and interpret the bible and that he felt that he had been wrong to persecute gay people so brutally and they kicked him out of the church basically on the spot holy shit and he walked out and right across from the westboro baptist church there was an LGBTQ community center that had had been put there as kind of a fuck you. And he said to the people who were outside of it, you're good people. And, you know, basically that was his last, last act in public. He went home and he died. And what really strikes me about that is not that, I mean, he didn't redeem anything. He didn't change anything that he'd done. No. He didn't put anything back in the bottle with regard to that church, which is still miserably chugging along without him in the spirit right. that he inspired but here's a guy who believes with all his heart that you go to hell for being gay or endorsing being gay and as he's getting ready to die he takes this huge what to him is a huge eschatological risk and and just says like well no this was wrong of me and i'm going to chance in my view of the world i'm going to chance going to hell Wow. To make it right. I think that's incredibly powerful. And it wouldn't be so powerful if his life hadn't basically been a complete fucking miserable, horrible waste.
1: Right. If he'd just been normal.
2: Right. And, you know, again, I don't think this makes him a good guy, but it does make it an incredible story. Right. Right. And I I feel like when we want our stories to be about good people, we're throwing away the incredible power of something like that of seeing someone right. sort of fundamentally convulse their whole personality.
1: Right. I, I I found myself in fiction really drawn to the stories of like really, I guess, bad men. Like, I don't know, fucking Scarface or, or Uncut Gems or in, in literature, you know, Jay Gatsby. I like The Great Gatsby. Everyone in it is a total douchebag, but I love that book. It's a good Fuck book. Fucking Hamlet. It's great. King Lear, you know, Renfield, Reverend Dimmesdale. Like, I find them so fascinating and so interesting. Like, I don't think you'd ever accuse Captain Ahab of being likable, but (laughs) God, what a great character. What a fucking interesting, fascinating character. What an amazing figure. And we don't judge them on this simple binary, do I like him, do I dislike
2: him? Right. Who in their right fucking mind would like Captain Ahab?
1: you'd have to just be real sick to love Captain Ahab. He's a piece of shit, I guess. But, like, what a fantastic figure. Right, it's like, like also,
2: also, who would not want to read about Captain Ahab for a thousand pages because he fucking rules.
1: Right, he's amazing. And I find it so sad to see that men, and and to be fair, like, mainly, at least in our culture, like, white men, but to give men this freedom to, to be and... Than to reduce women to this simple binary measure of likability. Mm-hmm. It's so reductive and so shallow and so cruel. it's like I go back to this well a lot, but we we I think we're at a point in the discourse when we can recognize that like viewing a woman purely by her 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 attractiveness, her physical attractiveness is really cruel, right? Like this isn't that different?
2: No, and it's it's often just kind of a smokescreen for doing exactly that.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Here's here's another thing that I've encountered. I I've worked with a number of artists over the course of my fiction writing career and people are so resistant to drawing what they think of as an ugly body or an mm-hmm. ugly woman especially. Right. And you you know, I've my last 3 books my illustrator Tom Horseman has done the covers and they're really incredible and have really Push themselves beautifully to to come to grips with that, and they've they've talked about it. They've made a really eloquent thread about it about learning that part of themselves and those impulses to avoid the unsightly.
1: Right, because if you have any of that stuff, if you have like a fold of fat or something, it's like, oh, I, sh- I shouldn't put that in. Like, why not? People have those, right? Like They're real. That's, <laughs> that's that's dude, what people you put like.
2: ears on bodies, like this is the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what people look like, though, and
1: and and it's such a tendency. Um, and I find it very interesting how, throughout much of art, like Renaissance, neoclassical art, there was a very particular ideal uh, for the body, especially for women. It was this very like very smooth and hairless. Mm-hmm. And when artists would violate that and just draw women for what they look like, which is like, hey, she's got a little pudge and she's got hair. She's got hairy armpits. Got she's got pubic hair. Like critics would get fucking furious. They'd call it disgusting, or they'd call it obscene. Like, why is it obscene? She's she's they're all nudes. It's just this is a nude who looks like a human and not like a child. <laughs> like sorry, is it obscene to like an adult woman? What the fuck?
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely I feel, that like it's, strain of weird, creepy. Protestant sentiment and like enlightenment sentiment in Western thinking really does demand that, like, the only acceptable portrayals of like sexualized women they have to be basically childlike. Yeah. They have to be hairless. They have to be smooth. They have to be thin. Like, right. Ugh. Yeah. It's it's, it's it's fucking disturbing.
1: And and really like not terribly sensual because it's like okay this is a this is a Barbie doll this isn't a person right. this is not something have. I
2: could touch this is yeah. not someone I could love or who could talk to me I could never Gosh. get in a fight with this person
1: this is a person who smells like baby powder and that's it <laughs> that's it nothing there's not like any kind of human body underneath it and it's like uh, and and. That's how I feel a lot about like nice female characters who are just so fucking good. And they're our friends and they're a good role model. And mm.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, this is sort of like hand in hand with the shit about how in American fiction, it's incredibly rare to read about a period. Yeah. I, I mean, she's absolutely fucking bat shit, banana pants, but Anna Biller. Who made the love witch. Yes. (laughs) She's so fucking crazy. I have no idea what she believes or stands for.
1: She's, oh my God. She, she is the exploding galaxy brain. Yes. Macro just all the
2: time. I love that movie so much. It's incredible. And there's that wonderful scene. And I have, I have never seen it fail to produce what I'm sure is the desired reaction in any theater where the character pulls out her tampon and there's just enough time for everyone in the theater to go, ew before the voiceover goes, tampons aren't gross. <laughs> right. And starts explaining how it's a powerful object.
1: Going, most men have never seen a used tampon. And there's a <laughs> right? the scene later when they find it in the witch bottle and they're like, what is this? It's and it's so a little great. unclear, what is this witch bottle or what is this thing? They don't know what a tampon is.
2: right? Which is, uh, oh, it's such a good scene. It's so good. Writers, even, even women writers, are so avoidant about periods, about right. like body hair. You know, they don't want to break this collective cultural delusion about what a woman's body is. Right. And like, speaking personally, as a total freakazoid, this is very lame and boring to me. <laughs> 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 like... I, I I would prefer to be pushed.
1: Mm. Yeah, it it is such a thing, isn't it? Like no one ever pees or poops in fiction, and no one ever menstruates.
2: That's what's so great about the Sopranos is like there's so much pooping in that show that a character actually dies on the toilet, and it it doesn't seem nice. surprising. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, I, I was gonna bring this up earlier. We're about the same age, right? I'm 31.
1: Oh, oh gosh, I'm 36 now. It's oh, well, about the same.
2: So you're old enough. I, I don't know if you were aware of The Sopranos when it was on, but I still remember how much people hated Carmella for giving Tony a hard time.
1: Right. I, I never. I'm so embarrassed. I'm like the one Twitter leftist who has not seen an episode of The Sopranos.
2: I, I, as I've been doing everywhere, <laughs> I'm going to claim full credit for forcing people to watch The Sopranos.
1: Yeah, it sure sounds
2: great, the way you talk about it. It's very, very good. But, I mean, that's that's been a constant refrain throughout the great bad man shows, is that the wife in His bitch of a
1: wife is mad at him for murdering people. What?
2: Right, which means she's a bitch. Fucking Skylar getting
1: mad at her husband for shooting a child and burying him in the desert?
2: Betty Draper... I, here's the, I love right. Betty Draper. I love her so yes. much. She's so real. And I don't, yeah, I don't even mean it ironically. I'm like, I feel so deeply for Betty Draper.
1: Who. 100%. Who
2: just could not have turned out any other way.
1: Yep. For, for the way she is and, and the way they handled like her, the fact that she, she's just constantly hungry because that's what it takes for people to like her and like that i think is so informs so much of her character why she's so tightly wound and why she's so uptight and why especially when it's anything is food related she like kind of freaks out like she can't eat of course she's fucking grumpy she can't eat
2: oh my god what a great
1: show cuz the one time she actually let herself eat like she gained weight and everyone was fucking horrible to her like yeah no shit she's uptight I'll have a cigarette for lunch. That's what I'll do. I'm Betty Draper. This is what I have to do to get people to love me.
2: That'll make me feel really good. I would love to have a vodka gimlet and 10 cigarettes. (sighs) But anyway, the point is, yeah, people see all these shows and they're like, well, the the message that I should take away here is that I I hate this wife for objecting to the protagonist. And that, I think, mostly comes from like the shitty dude bro angle.
1: Right. And and to be fair, a lot of uh, a lot of viewers have trouble understanding. Like the protagonist is not the good guy.
2: Right.
1: He's not a role model, you
2: guys. Yeah, no, I remember that too. Understand this? People were like, "Tony's so awesome. (laughs) I want to be like him." No. And he's he's maybe my favorite character in all of of film and visual media. But I I don't want to be any more like Tony than I already am ever. No.
1: I don't want to be Jay Gatsby, although a pink suit that's tailored
2: just to me, I would rock one of those. I think you could pull that, that off. That would be that's pretty sweet. sweet. I'd like to have look. one of those. What was I <laughs> going to say? My friend Sean Collins, who's a really wonderful critic, wrote this great piece about the actual appeal of the bad man drama. Right. And the fantasy of them is not a power fantasy. It's The fantasy is that these fictional people feel bad about being terrible. <laughs> right and in reality they're incredibly boring they're you know they're basically insects yeah they don't they don't feel tormented at all they're just like why are people mad at me this isn't fair i'm awesome right i i hate a consequence yeah (laughs) yeah no it's definitely a very very different emotional and intellectual landscape out there when it comes to interpreting and confronting male characters
1: yeah And curiously, I don't see them talking about likability. And I haven't seen that with my characters either. Like I've written some female characters, male characters. All my protagonists are deeply flawed, but the deeply flawed men, while their flaws are acknowledged, don't get that. I didn't care about them. I didn't find a reason to like them. Like one of the protagonists of one of my stories is like a, basically a, a cultist who kidnaps a human child to sacrifice him to his cult's God, he did not get as much flack. As, as my female characters, he was not as unlikable. And I, uh, uh. We're,
2: we're so ready to <laughs> sympathize with men.
1: He was ready to murder a child.
2: He was, re- he, was, he was ready to tie a boy to an altar and stab him. I'm sure he had a very good reason. And probably his mother didn't love him.
1: His wife was screwing his bodyguard, so you know it's justifiable.
2: Not to keep quoting The Sopranos, but there's a great line where (laughs) Tony tries to get back with his therapist after putting her in danger. And she says, how many people, how many more people have to die for your (laughs) self-actualization?
1: Oh, that's so good.
2: (laughs) It's really good. That's great. That's a question he basically never confronts or answers. It's amazing. Uh, and then aside from that sort of dude bro strain there there are these other people you mentioned they're the our fellow women who feel very critical adult YA fans yeah
1: most of the time
2: you know what always jumps to mind for me is the people who watched game of thrones and they loved daenerys and hated cersei Mm. Which is insane to me because they're effectively the same person. <laughs> hmm. It's just that Daenerys's selfishness is big picture and Cersei's is very personal and small. But I've had so many conversations with other women who are like, well, she's a bitch, she's horrible, she's a monster. And like, those things are all true, but I don't know why that's the end of your engagement with the character and not the beginning.
1: Right. <sighs> Right, right, or or I mean, look at the world she's in. Like, how the fuck are you gonna come out of that and be like, "I'm a nice person"? <laughs> right. I'm normal and cheerful. Like, ever just the everyone's getting stabbed, everyone's getting murdered and set on fire. Like, you can't, you don't come out of that being nice. You can't.
2: You you really truly do not. <sighs> <sighs> it's it's wild. You have to just like
1: it it makes me think of tampon commercials where like the this they don't show anything red, it's like this blue Windex. Right. Like that's what we're supposed to be. Like we're supposed to be if we're hurt we can't bleed. We gotta like bleed Windex, this clear blue stuff that just cleans everything. God we're not damn. allowed to have like blood or scars. That's what's supposed to come out of
2: us all the time. Oh, Jesus Christ, what a horror. How have I never thought of that? What an awful image. Just on a
1: spiritual level, we're supposed to bleed Windex.
2: Yeah, that's that's <laughs> very true. It's There's just this expectation that a woman's suffering should produce purity somehow. You know, we're all fucking Joan of Arc.
1: And, and I feel like that's a, an extremely unhealthy attitude because it kind of means like, well, therefore, women's suffering is good, so we don't need to stop it.
2: Right. It's fine. It's good. It's good. Yeah, if a woman is going to suffer, she should either be made very strong by it and, like, go out and get back at everyone who hurt her, or right. she should be incredibly virtuous and, like, teach us something about some shit.
1: Right. And it's, uh, th- I mean, that sick attitude that goes into real life in a really poisonous way, this idea of, like, you have to be the right kind of victim. I mean, that affects that affects people's perceptions of sexual violence. Absolutely. Like, if you were not, you know, a little like nice virginal person, it's kind of like, well, I'm not going to say you deserved it, but. But you did.
2: But I will treat you <laughs> as though you did.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and that goes into fiction. I think like we, we read all of this and it kind of poisons our brains a little bit and primes us for that. And so that's how we see the world. And, and, instead of challenging it through art and art expressive art is a way to sort of challenge yourself and challenge your perception of the world and challenge your sort of emotions and your empathy, like instead of bringing that to ourselves and challenging ourselves as creatives to see the beauty in ugliness, to see like something redeemable or something valuable in someone who's loathsome, like... It's like, no, I'm not going to challenge myself with this. I'm going to make someone who's easy to like. I'm going to make someone likable. I'm going to make someone I would al- already like, and I'm not going to look for beauty in a place that's hard to find it. And that's so fucking lazy, and it just perpetuates this ugly cycle, and it's horrible.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, not, not to get all extremist about the pipeline from fiction to, to real behavior, but I do think that it is both indicative of And feeds into a pattern of brittle, quickly ended relationships and unhealthy connections. And it's Mm -hmm. just a shit way to live your life. You know, going around and thinking that the most valuable thing you can find is someone who never makes you feel bad. And it's not that you Mm -hmm. should fucking stay with people who make you feel bad all the time. It's that the nature of human connection is in part pain. You will never love someone without hurting them or being hurt by them at some point and you can't run away the second that something starts to hurt yeah there's just this there's this childishness to it that i i fundamentally don't yeah. understand and that i don't I, I don't want anything to do with you know i was talking about cersei a minute ago and <laughs> th- there's another person you'd have to be demented to want to spend time with But I think her life is very beautiful and very sad. I mean, she's raised in isolation with her twin, who she loves more than anything. And at some point, she's surprised to find that they're going to be treated completely differently for the rest of their lives, which is this foundational trauma that she thinks and talks about all the time without realizing what it is. And then she gets sold off into marriage to some drunk dude who rapes her all the time. And then she loses her kids, gets humiliated in front of an entire city. I mean, this, this is a, a woman whose life is incredibly poignant, even if it, it made her into a totally horrible person.
1: Right. But there's still, I mean, there's still something worth in that story. There's still something worth... Looking at that, even if it's even if it's unpleasant <laughs> I, I I mean, I think of visual media of like a still life, like do you judge a still life based on oh, I don't like that type of fruit. I don't like pears <laughs> right. I'm allergic to citrus. There's
2: an orange in this bowl. I don't like the painting. Some people I've seen genuinely do interact with art like on that exact level, but i I do get what you're saying about the the metaphorical approach of of narrative art in the same way.
1: Yeah, and it's so upsetting to see that. It, it, it's it, really upsetting.
2: I, I granted, you know, you're going
1: to approach a story, you're going to approach narrative fiction differently if you are also a writer. But but I feel like readers can open up to that. And, and I don't know whether this is more of a disease of our present day where art is more and more Disneyfied and more and more considered like here is a consumer product experience designed to make you feel good, and that is all. Or if audiences have always been a little bit like this, I don't know.
2: But I don't like it, and I I, I would like to know how to fix it. <laughs> I, I have to I have to say this. One time, apparently, when someone requests a refund from Gumroad, they always email the creator of, oh no. of the thing that's being requested for a refund. Someone requested a refund after having bought a PDF of my novel, Ego Hominy Lupus. And I got the email that they sent. Oh, And it was just like it literally boiled down to this book made me feel very bad.
1: Oh, my God.
2: And that's like, well, motherfucker. What did you expect? Why did you order 10 pounds of sushi? Like <laughs> that's I mean, if you <laughs> I just don't understand people. It's insane. you know
1: who I am?
2: <laughs> Honestly, like it's it's all I, I literally slap the clearest fucking label I can on everything I write. This is only for adults. It is very extreme and upsetting. You should right. not read it if you are really sensitive to those things and it would hurt you. Right. Um, but I mean, he expected a refund from me because the book did not please him, which Speaking to your point about art as a consumer product, you paid me for something I made. You did not pay me to curate the experience to your tastes. It is irrelevant to me if you like my book or not. Right. There's no other business where you would behave that way.
1: Right. Well, I guess at a restaurant, there is the like, I'd like a refund. I didn't like the sandwich. You ate all of it. Oh, God. Well, those people are beyond help. You ate all of it, though. Yeah, but I didn't like it. Then
0: why did you eat
1: all of it? There's nothing but
0: crumbs.
1: (laughs) (sighs) So let's switch topics for a moment and talk about what it is that makes a female character quote-unquote unlikable. What are some of the things that people find unlikable? about some of the female characters that we've we've made or that we've encountered in fiction.
2: Well for sure the first thing that pops to mind is weakness. Right. Uh when a woman does not have agency in in like a right. traditional sort of hero's journey masculine sense, you know, she can't swing a real or metaphorical sword. It's much more right. likely that people are gonna be like, Well fuck this bitch.
1: Yeah. Why? Why is she subject to the social mores of her era? Like,
2: okay. <laughs> right? We can't all
1: be like supernatural Kara Knightley characters who are weirdly liberated for the time. Like, most most people born in, in a very repressed era will be rather repressed in some way. I, I don't really know.
2: Here's here's a small tangent. I, I don't ever want to see. Kara knightley in anything again until she gains like 40 pounds i find her so upsetting to look at oh (laughs) just like it's crazy that there's this person who's super super obviously anorexic and is famous for it right that that's demented it's (laughs) jesus christ it's it's you know it's the corollary to bodybuilders Mm. And how we're all like, yes, it's totally normal that Sylvester Stallone looks like that as a 70-year-old man. We shouldn't talk about right. it.
1: <laughs> right. It's normal. It's healthy. He just has, you know, things injected into him. It's a very healthy thing to do to yourself,
2: especially if you're elderly. It's fine. But anyway, to, to yeah. back away from that. Right. So weakness is one. Yeah. The other big one I find is just, like, complaining. Mm. If a character ruminates and, like, self-pities, instant dislike. Oh, yeah.
1: You can't bleed. (laughs) Yeah,
2: You know, it's got to be Windex. You got to
1: bleed Windex. You got to get that Windex out of you. No no bitterness, no sadness, no complaining, no... (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, like, unpleasant, sightly suffering. You've got to... You got to suffer, but you can't admit that it's suffering. You can't admit that you hate it. Like, and I think this this ties into real life, too. Um, speaking of celebrities, I remember when, like, Lady Gaga got into a lot of trouble because she, she posted about how, okay, I just did a, an exercise class. I'm dreaming of a of a cheeseburger, but I, I'm going to eat a salad. Pop stars don't get to eat. This sucks. And everybody got mad at her. And it's like, well, I mean, like, that's the truth. Like... It's right. fucked up, but it, it, I, I, if she could be famous and eat cheeseburgers, she would probably eat cheeseburgers. She loves cheeseburgers, most human beings do, but it's like the the industry demands a certain physical standard that's not natural for most people to get to, and it's not fun putting doing what you have to do to get to that standard, but you're not allowed to complain, you're not allowed to go like, this fucking sucks, I really want a cheeseburger. It's, no, you can't say that. You got to be like, I love this. I'm so happy doing this. I feel so good and clean. <laughs> I am very, this is self-love for me. This is not torture. There's no. Uh, this is my choice. And I'm making a choice to love my body by not eating things that taste good. <laughs> right. So you have to do that. You can't admit like, yeah, this is part of the job. This is what I gotta do to stay rich. And and I've made this choice because having millions of dollars is pretty cool. And I would like to have more millions of dollars. But man, sometimes I just want a fucking cheeseburger. Like
0: That's what's crazy
2: to you me. Can't it's admit like that. get like a good investment accountant and then go eat whatever the fuck you want.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Like, okay, made my money. Now I am opening up a restaurant and I am going to eat there every fucking night. What's on the menu? What I want to be on the menu?
2: Fucking. <laughs> this is thin Adele's world. We're just living in it. It's
1: just admitting, like, this is work. You know, Looking li- lo- admitting that you're wearing makeup, admitting that you don't get to do all the things you want to do. And sometimes that sucks. <laughs>
2: Um, and this actually dovetails into another thing that I have found makes fictional women immediately hateable is if they mm. are ugly or fat.
1: Ooh. yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Just, just just right off the bat. And sometimes people won't say it, but I, I will flatter myself by saying that I can tell.
1: Mm. Even in fiction, like even, even if a character is like super nice, but she's fat, people just hate her.
2: That has been my experience or like Like in narrative fiction and not visual fiction. Well, well, definitely more in visual fiction. Right, right, right. But I, I do think that people find fat women in narrative fiction contemptible anyway. Yeah. You know, if if there's a fat woman in a book, then the story has to be about her losing weight or maybe radically coming to love her curves or whatever. Right. Depending on your strain of boring author. And anything else is, like, unwantable. And that's typically expressed in, like, well, this is bad representation.
1: Right, right, right. Even though, like, realistically, that's how a lot of women are.
2: (laughs) Most women don't love their bodies, unfortunately. Yeah. You shouldn't show a fat woman hating her body. You shouldn't show a fat woman eating. Like, those are stereotypes. Like, bitch, what? Yeah
1: yeah, I mean, in visual media, it's so fucking brutal. It's so brutal. Ugh,
2: yeah, I, like this is something I try not to think about too much because it's so fucking demoralizing but they're literally, there are no even small profile films with a fat trans woman in them. Just none. Yeah. You know, people talk about representation. Yeah, I, I doubt I'll ever see anyone like me in film. I-
1: Right. I mean, these days when you get a when you get a trans woman in film, she's, she's a, a fucking supermodel.
2: Super she is. Invari- she's
1: ludicrously she's, beautiful.
2: Right. She's she's almost invariably literally a model, and you know some of them right. are some of them are, are really good actresses, and I don't begrudge them their success, but the system behind them is definitely forwarding the image of the palatable trans woman. Right. You are just a little exotic.
1: Right yeah yeah and that's such a and it's such a cruel thing too to just like we don't like a person who's basically physically kind of normal, I mean, right that's what a lot of women look like that and and to suggest like no, I can't sympathize with someone like that, like,
2: what the fuck? It's really nuts. This is something I talk about a lot, is that we immediately sacrifice a level of engagement by casting. or or writing about only conventionally, inoffensively beautiful people. Right. And even if some people are averse to looking at, you know, more normal bodies. Right. I think that the lasting impact of the few pieces of art where everyone did look normal is a testament to how strong that effect is. Right. And, uh, you know, again, I'm going to go back to The Sopranos, which (laughs) has maybe the highest ratio of... Like fat people in its cast, mm. for any like golden age drama, you know the, basically everyone on that show looks like maybe you met them at someone's barbecue, right, um, which is great i I really wish that a lot more visual art was like that, yeah,
1: it's so much more interesting, like I think I figured out why the new the latest alien Ridley Scott movies didn't really appeal to me versus the first one that I love so much and the more recent ones everyone looks just like flawlessly impeccably beautiful yes. everyone looks like a model chiseled abs they're all groomed sculpted everything gorgeous very expensive haircuts perfect skin and then the first one people are kind of chunky and grimy and grungy and their clothes don't fit so good like the you know the 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 android isn't this like perfect adonis he's he's a little pudgy he's got you know he's got a little bit of a a little bit of a chunk and it's like you know what yeah if i was going to design an android to fit in i wouldn't pick this like physically perfect specimen who's ludicrously hot i would pick someone want one that looks like a normal guy and a normal guy is probably you know likes likes carbohydrates right (laughs) and it's so much more interesting to me because they look like People and I have such empathy for them. Whereas when I'm watching the new one with these flawlessly beautiful people, I don't feel like I'm watching people get hurt. I feel like I'm watching a bunch of models doing a very strange themed photo shoot, <laughs> and this is some sort of like futuristic couture you're, you're line or something.
2: <laughs> really expressing something that I have struggled to say, um, which is just that I don't, I don't really have any empathy for catalog people. Right. I mean, what is that? You want right. to show me a fucking mannequin getting shot, and you want me to cry? I don't care.
1: Like, and even they don't look like that. Like, even though they are the beautiful people who are in terrific shape with like the amazing bone structure, even they still don't look like that. If you see them right. walking around, they've they're not going to look like that. That perfectly coiffed. and and just seeing that level of of quaffedness, it's like, no, this isn't happening. You're not getting eaten by an alien. You're too hot. Right,
2: none of this is real.
1: Maybe this is some kind of fetish porn. I don't know, but everyone's way too beautiful for this to be, like, really happening.
2: Right, and if it is fetish porn, it's very boring.
1: It's very boring. H.R. Giger would be very disappointed. He definitely would. I didn't come once. (laughs) I hate this.
2: (laughs) Normally my semen would be running down the... Grooves (laughs) Grooves <laughs> yeah. in my specially designed gamer chair. Oh, God. You know, he, he's everything's with the grooves with him.
1: Oh, yeah. The grooves. ribbing. Grooves and, like, giant phalluses. Oh,
2: what a guy. Wonderful. A lot of vaginas.
1: Yeah, yeah, a lot of giant space vaginas. Legend. <laughs> um, legend. Yeah. Legend. yeah. Mate, oh.
2: mate, you're an absolute cunt and a proper legend.
1: <laughs> yeah, so from that like being just physical ugliness just takes away people's a female character's likability, which is some real serious bullshit. Being sad about herself, meanness, making questionable choices, making imperfect choices which, oh, for hey, sure. Hey, I don't know if you've ever met a human. But we don't make very good choices most of the time. I'm sorry.
2: This is what always gets me. Like, you know, the classic situation where you're watching a horror movie and someone says to the character, don't go in there. Like, have you met a person? Have you ever put a person under pressure? They will do the stupidest shit imaginable.
1: Right, right. Like course it's like how many spooky ominous basements have you gone into in your real life i've gone into several because it's like well i gotta get the light bulb down there or whatever i gotta get the thing out of the basement if it were a horror movie i would have been
2: stabbed but it's like well i gotta go there i had a friend who one time when spooked by his sister shouting boo at him ran through a sliding plate glass door holy shit <laughs> because he was so scared like people are so Oh, dumb! When you scare them,
1: right, right. Or just in general, when you when you have questionable self esteem, when you're horny, you make some really poor decisions. And absolutely something that drives me extra nuts about the the adult YA set is that on top of reading these books about teenagers, they'll very frequently complain that the heroine of the novel is immature. Yes, she is fifteen. <laughs> She is supposed to be immature. If you want to read a book about a mature lady, there's a bunch more. They're not in the YA section. Right. There there are these things yes. called
2: adults. Yeah.
1: There's just adult fictions. You can read those. You can read those books. There's a bunch of them. They're, they're really good. <laughs> uh, but the biggest thing, I mean, in general, it's just not being a perfect role model. And the idea of what a role model, what a perfect woman is supposed to be is e- even if you are on the more like liberal or left side, um, it it's not a healthy I- idea of like what a woman should be. It's an impossible idea, given the fact that we exist in the world and the
2: world sucks sometimes. It's also like you were saying earlier, it's just bizarre to want role models at our age.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're a kid... Okay, your stories are going to have role models in them because you're a kid. You don't have a fully formed like social consciousness yet. You don't have a moral compass. Your brain I'm is still figuring soup. it out.
2: Your brain is. Basically I'm a grown up.
1: Soup. I'm a grown up. I know. I know what. I know what's right and wrong. I have a moral compass. I don't need a role model. I'm supposed to be a role model. I am not. But I'm at the age where I am supposed to be one of them, and the idea that fiction needs to present female role models for me is really infantilizing, because I am a big girl. (laughs) Yep. I don't need one of those. It's weird seeing, like, grown women say, I want to be like her when I grow up. Like, you're almost
2: 40. You are a grown-up. You grew up a while ago. What are you
1: doing? Stop it. (laughs) She's my role model. You're an adult. (laughs) But yeah, an adult. and there's there's something gross to it, too. Like, I, th- I feel like we talk about this more. Ha- there, there's a very overwhelming idea that women are like helplessly influenced by the media we consume that I think doesn't apply to men as much. Right. And when we talk about, oh, this might give women a bad idea, a dangerous idea. We don't do that as much for men. I, I know. Granted, the whole Joker fucking nonsense. Right. Or, or like violent video like, games. They finally found the one movie that would hurt men's minds. It it's was a naughty clown movie.
2: I, I, I finally, <laughs> finally saw Joker. And it, it's, I mean, first of all, it's just kind of nothing. Mm. And second, it's just, oh, like, well, it's the story of a guy who has a couple of bad days and not a great life. I can think of so many movies that are such a like more powerful call to violent action for no reason, right? You know, like h- how are how are you scared of that movie and not Taxi Driver, which I think is wonderful. Oh God, I love Taxi Driver. But Good. is about like nihilistic, ultra macho will to power. Oh right. Anyway, it, it's just very bizarre to me that anyone was worried about Joker, which is like it's like right. Being afraid that your kids will get brainwashed by, like, Winnie the Pooh. I
1: know. By the clown man. By the mean crime clown. You're really afraid of that for your children?
2: What's like, that, that wonderful ugh. tweet that, like, in the 19th century, actors competed for the chance to embody the great roles. You know, King Lear and Hamlet. And right. now that tradition lives on as they compete to play the clown who fights Batman
1: <laughs> right and it's so weird seeing all this like they say the role is cursed because it's so intense psychologically like he is a he is a clown yep he's a crime clown what did it do to Jack Nicholson nothing he is living his best life
2: right he's a crazy old eating dude eating a doing...
1: hoagie on a yacht he is crushing it
2: he's having a great time he does whatever the fuck he wants now
1: He is not scarred at all. He is just, like, fucking kicking it admirably.
2: (laughs) Yeah, not to keep quoting tweets, but there's another great one. Imagine (laughs) the idea of a man so twisted that crime is funny to him. It's weird, because
1: it's gotten, like, the sense of, like, oh, it's cursed just because of Heath Ledger. It's like, well, that was one guy. I mean... Was Caesar Romero cursed by the role? He didn't even shave his mustache for it. He didn't even give a shit. He's like, nope, you're not paying me enough. <laughs> Just paint over it. I don't care. Oh.
2: yeah, it's a it's a like. real fucking nothing.
1: Just oh, love him. I I would like to see that level of I don't give a fuck in our in our superhero movies again because well, I find it very endearing.
2: We had that. We had we had that. Um, Henry Cavill wouldn't shave his mustache for Superman because he was in another right. movie where he had a mustache. So they had to CGI his mustache out, and it looks unbelievably horrible.
1: Good for him. Yeah. Holding on to his mustache. Incredible power move. Good for him. Fucking dude's rock move. Oh. <laughs> yes. Saying No, I'm not shaving this. But you're Superman. I don't care. He can fucking have a mustache, too, then. I don't give a shit. I'm not cutting it off. <laughs> fucking fight me. Fix it. Use your special effects. I don't care. Oh, Ugh. Oh hero i would have liked it if they just left it in though If superman just had like an uncle mustache the whole time for some movie zero explanation
2: right superman just looks like your uncle kevin
1: he's just it's movember he decided he was gonna grow it out <laughs> just thought it, he'd look cool with a mustache why the fuck not why aren't there more beardy why it you know it, it's like the it, the 2010s were all about like questionable facial hair like how the fuck did no one grow any Yeah. All we got is Aquaman. He's the only representation of bearded men. That's it.
2: God. It's really incredible that they bothered, like, casting anyone else who's Hollywood hot next to Jason Momoa. Like, what a waste. What a pointless effort. Yeah, you
1: can't compete with that. That's unfair. That's cruel. Just cast a normal guy.
2: That man is like. He's like. If a dinosaur were alive today, but for the hunks of like Hollywood fifty years ago. Right. Like, you know, he's he's a guy who you turn him sideways and he's like three feet thick. Yes. He's he's the fucking um Who's that right he's the Rob Liefeld illustration of Captain America with a gigantic oh chest. God. Yes. There's actually uh there's a great my friend Julia Graffaire did a side-by-side comparison of that illustration with an actual picture of Ken Russell, and it's like, oh, that's that's pretty spot on. <laughs> or not Ken Russell, Oliver Reed. Oh no. Who famously starred in several Ken Russell movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Oh god.
1: Well and it's be any of those going back to going back to unlikable female characters. I think it's important just to stress you need to hold on to something other than likability. Like is her story compelling? Is there beauty in it? Does there say it does it say something about the human condition, maybe? Not
2: she's not my friend. Does it instill a feeling in you? Does it push you? Does it right. make you confront something?
1: Right, right. I mean And I feel like if you don't accept them this unlikability, this flawedness in female characters, it's kinda like Reflects something of how you see other women. And I don't think it's a good thing. I don't think it's a healthy thing. So I've got a question either for either of us or I think for the audience, too. If you were a fictional female character, how much would the audience hate you and why?
2: I don't don't want to reverse pat myself on the back too hard here. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really I really think that if I were on television, I would be completely despised. Mm. I mean, like, I'm a fat, rude, mean cunt. And I've spent most of my life making really bad decisions <laughs> and like being a pathetic mess of conflicting mental illness symptoms. Right. right. I'm also extremely judgmental Ooh. and a huge snob.
1: Nice. Yeah. I think that's good. Actually. I'm, I'm definitely in the camp of no, I will not let you enjoy this thing. <laughs> yes. No, I will Break your Funko Pops.
2: <laughs> I've also never once come out on top over anyone mm. who abused me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's the reality for most people who've been abused. Women or, or men, you know, or, or non-binary. Like, in the real world, it, it fucking sucks, but you usually don't come on top of the people who abuse you, and <laughs> that's horrible. That, I think, would be probably be the reason why audiences hate me. I'm very noisy, and... Very sassy and opinionated, but I have never beat up anyone who sexually harassed or assaulted me because I live in the real world <laughs> and I am five foot two and I don't know Kung Fu. <sighs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I remember, um, not, not to get too real, but when I was still with my abusive ex, I had like an incident while I was at my clinic in Boston um, for like, a I think I was getting my hormone levels checked where this guy chased me in the street, like screaming that he Mm. was going to rape me. Oh, God. And I was very fortunate of like super nice cis lady interposed herself and I scuttled into my doctor's building and then I had a friend meet me later. Right. But when I got home, my ex was like, well, I really think that we should enroll you in a self-defense class. And I was like, I don't, what? That's like, The furthest thing from who I am. I'm not going to do that. Right. And they got really mad at me. They were like, I just feel like you aren't thinking about how this affects me.
0: Whoa.
2: I feel like you don't care that I have to worry about you when you go out. And, you know, like that is actually how people feel about women. Like. Right. As evinced.
1: You're making me feel sad by existing, and I don't like that. Right. It's
2: it's your fault that if someone wanted to murder you, they could. And then I'd have to feel sad, so. Right. Don't you see how hard that is for me? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if someone wants to fucking murder me, they're going to murder me. I have just made my peace with it. I can't yeah. run.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In my case, like the question is, well, why do not you kick his ass? It's like, did, do, do you... I am five feet, two inches tall. Right. That's not ass-kicking height. It's like, have you been in a fight with someone who's at least six inches taller than you? You're probably not going to win that fight. No. And there, people people see so many movies where, like, the sassy heroine, you know, she throws a drink in the guy's face or she kicks him in the balls, and then he crumples and just stops existing. Like, okay, in real life, say you hit, you kick that guy in the balls and then... Later, when you leave to go home, he's waiting for you. And he beats your face into hamburger. Yep. Yeah, in a fucking alley or something. Like, you don't know. He 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 might hit you back, and he's bigger than you. And also, people tend to freeze up in real life when real scary shit happens, because we evolved to do that, because it turns out it actually helps you survive pretty good by not escalating violent situations. So, sorry, that is why audiences would hate me. <laughs> For being normal in this instance.
2: Even I'm 6'4", and I I have always been bigger and taller and stronger than the people who've abused me. And just, like, being imposing and looming and fighting back are not in my nature. Um, Yeah. They don't occur to me. I shrink into myself. Yeah. So definitely, like, being at a physical disadvantage in almost all interactions is something that has a very real impact on people, obviously, as you know, but right. even, even without it, it's very easy to yeah. like be made powerless.
1: Yeah. And it's so easy to say like, well, I kick his ass, but like no one ever actually does that in real life. It's actually really rare. Like fighting right. is scary and hard.
0: Fighting is scary. And
2: it's hard. not like
1: movies where everybody's like beautifully throwing roundhouse kicks in slow motion. It's like really gross and upsetting and awful.
2: Right. No, no one is Patrick Swayze. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tossing goons out of out of the double deuce. Oh god. What a perfect oh, movie.
1: Right, right, right. And I mean, okay, that's what you expect in an action movie, but most that's one genre. That's one specific genre. Don't expect that from every genre. It's like expecting kung fu in a period piece about Regency England it's like, I reject your proposal of marriage. And then she just Suplex. suplexes him. Like, that's not... And what's more, the school
2: that of the flying respect. crane rejects it as well. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <sighs> yeah, and I would encourage you, if you're listening right now, trying for a little bit of, like, self-reflection. Think about if you were a female, a fictional female character, how really would audiences respond to you how how would they look upon you would they see you as this like blameless likable imaginary friend role model or would they be like i don't like her she's a bitch i don't like her she looks weird
2: i think that's a great exercise for guys Uh, guys i think you should do that you heard it you heard it honestly
1: girls too like honestly a lot of the a lot of the female
2: oh for sure
1: character cuz women 100% do it too. I don't I don't think with realizing it. I know the term like internalized misogyny is like used a lot and a little bit of a cliche, but it's it's fucking real. It's yeah. extremely
2: real. It's very 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 real. Anyway, develop some fucking solidarity.
1: Yeah, come on. It, it it's good I mean it's good not just good for you as a reader or as a writer but I think as a human being too if you're maybe if you're able to see the beauty of these like unpleasant female characters in art maybe you can see it a little bit more in your real life and understand how to forgive others maybe understand how to forgive yourself a little bit because if you you're used to looking at women through that lens like you you can't how can you love a woman if that's how you see them
2: yeah I agree. You know, when I think of books and movies that have been really profound, healing and growing experiences for me, they're not pretty or uplifting books and they're not mm. they're not books about tough heroines going out and doing what a man would do in their place but, you know, sassier right. and with fewer sex jokes. Right. They're right. They're books like Psycho Nymph Exile, where, you know, two completely broke, horribly traumatized, dysfunctional trans women live together. And the whole book is just them trying to survive through like varying shades of extreme poverty. And I remember that was the first time that I was like, oh, my body is part of a world that is just as real as like the the mainstream culture shit that i am fed all the time. Yeah. I bol- I belong somewhere even if it's debased and abject. Yeah. That that's not a pleasant book. It's very rough. <laughs> or and just just to to keep hammering eternally the nail of the sopranos.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: There's a wonderful episode called The Weight which is about one mafioso's outrage that another guy made a joke about his fat wife and it like it escalates to the point where the husband puts out a hit on the other guy oh wow like against his boss's sanction just flying Ah. totally solo which first of all incredible wife guy move your fave could never yeah
1: Get the fuck out of the way, curvy wife guy.
2: Yeah, just pathetic. There's a new curvy wife guy. He is is the only true fat ally. Um, (laughs) But there's this incredibly moving resolution to it where he happens to stumble across her sneak eating in the basement because she's always on these crazy diets and she's always torturing herself. And they have this confrontation which starts out like, kind of rough and angry because you know, he's thinking about this guy who he's going to have killed and all of these big things are in motion about this joke. And it moves on to this very honest discussion of how he has never wanted her to police her body like this. Oh. And it hurts him to see her do it, and he's he's upset with her about it, and it's like these are not emotionally intelligent people. These right, are not. Right. These are not even good people. But there's something so beautiful and so incandescent in that moment that that made me feel things about my own body and my own life that nothing nice or instructional or straightforward ever could have. Right. Because it's always too easy. It is. I don't need to In be the told nice something. Ones. I'm fucking 30. Like, make me feel it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can hear a million lectures about, like, you should love yourself no matter what, but that doesn't make you feel it.
2: Right. Like... At all. Show me this man touching a fat woman tenderly and, and standing on the brink of having done something incredibly fucked up for her finally reckon with where her body stands in the world and and mm. how he can and can't accept the way that it exists for her. Mm. Those, are, those are really powerful things that just do not get talked about at all. And the fact that it's unclear and kind of messy. Hmm? And it's in a
1: mafia show too. That's fucking
2: awesome. Right. No, The Sopranos whips so hard.
1: It's not in like a... Here's Here's one of those many adult animation probably on Netflix where like people from L.A. talk about stuff they talk about
2: in therapy. Jesus Christ, that's exactly what it is. Again, going back to Sean Collins, I think he said about BoJack Horseman that it's a show where every line of dialogue is something you would say during a not especially interesting or revelatory visit to your therapist. Mm. And that just holds no appeal to me whatsoever. I do do not want the basic tenets of depression explained to me. I have lived through them enough. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a very boring disease. Yeah. Oh, you feel like shit? You want to die? Great. Fucking wonderful. Tell me more about it. That sounds so interesting.
1: My right. God, no, no. You're really making me want to watch The Sopranos. How the fuck have I gotten to this age without watching it? God you damn. Know,
2: Raquel, it's time to watch The Sopranos. Get your shit together, Raquel. Watch The Sopranos. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, if our viewers take one thing away from this, it's that they should watch The Sopranos. Yeah. <laughs> Or listeners, I suppose.
1: Oh God, it sounds amazing. I I gotta watch that. I gotta, I gotta find a mafia husband who would kill someone for body shaming me. That's like husband goals, man. That is the perfect man. I think
2: that's something we should all aspire to.
1: Absolutely, that is just the best husband. (laughs) Ladies, stop, stop settling for men who won't murder your enemies. Stop settling. Don't worry about the other shit. Don't worry. Does he own a bed frame? Whatever. The real question is, will he take out a hit on someone who insults your physique? Right. That's what really matters. (laughs) All right. So why don't we wrap it up by talking about some of our favorite unlikable female characters in in visual media and in stories. Uh, Gosh, there are so many. They're the my favorite Female characters are the unlikable characters. I can't remember likable female characters because they're boring as shit. Who the
2: fuck would want to talk about a likable female character? What even is that? They're so boring. The fucking Nala from The Lion King? Who gives a shit?
1: Yeah. No one remembers really the princess. You just remember the evil queen. The evil queen rocks. Yeah. In every Disney movie, she's the way more interesting character. So who the fuck even remembers a single line of dialogue from Sleeping Beauty? All we remember is when Maleficent turns into a cool-ass dragon.
2: I remember she and shouts something about... kidnaps the prince. Yeah, no, she whips. Um, but when she shouts... She's amazing. She shouts something about summoning all the powers of hell. Very metal. Yeah. It's fucking metal. It's been a minute since I saw that. Obviously, Maleficent is like a, an OG. She rocks. Shitty queen.
1: And Ursula also. She's the only one who knows what's what in that movie.
2: Oh, I love Ursula. Ursula owns. queen.
0: (laughs) Yeah,
1: but let's see. um, Some of my favorites, I mean, the unnamed protagonist of the yellow wallpaper. She's amazing and wonderful. I love Amy from Gone Girl. She is a fucking monster. (laughs) She's just terrifying. She's like every man's like
2: nightmare of what a woman could be she is that speaking of nameless protagonists uh, Mm. the Charlotte Gainsborough character in Lars von Trier's Antichrist is such an incredible she's, she's like someone it's like he took the idea of an unlikable woman and keeps folding it in on itself oh yeah because every time she changes she gets like closer to what our culture expects a woman to be And every time it's more unbearable. It's so good.
1: Ooh, let's see. I actually find Daisy really compelling in The Great Gatsby. Oh, she's great. Not because she's like a great person or anything, but like that's what a woman is sort, sort of supposed to be in that time in that class. And she's trapped and she knows she's trapped. She's smart enough to know she's trapped, but she's not strong enough to break out of it. So that line where she says that she hopes her, do- thinks a, a girl should be a beautiful fool. Yeah, It's like she cl- so clearly means it. Cause she's like, I really wish I was too dumb to know how fucked up this is.
2: Yep. God. I, th- I think a lot about um, Nell from Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House, mm. who is such an anxious abrasive, difficult, moody person.
1: Oh, totally.
2: And who never figures out how to say what she wants. And oh, God. Who, who is just like so completely repre- repressed that there's no chance you could ever have any kind of stable connection with her. And God, reading that story is just so emotionally intense and draining to see like the the 15-year car wreck of this woman right everything that goes into breaking someone like that and how she can just pitifully tragically still almost work
1: oh yeah 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 or god shirley jackson's so good for them i think mary cat and we have always lived in the castle oh my god she's terrifying it's like every 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 time you remember she's not 12, you just, like, flip your shit. You're like, oh, wow, she's like this imaginative kid. Wait, no, she's about 18 now. Yeah. Oh, no, she shouldn't be acting like that. That's not good. It, it took me a minute to to understand
2: that the first time I was reading it.
1: Even though, first off, she says, "I I think I am 17 years old or yeah. something like that. But I keep forgetting, like, oh, she's just like a little kid. It's like, no, she's 17, 17. You don't act like that. What the fuck? Right. She's this weird, creepy, feral monster witch person. I love her. She's great. (laughs) Um, Going back to film Baby Jane and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. I fucking love that movie so hard. Joan Crawford and Betty Davis just, like, torturing each other psychologically. Just, like, being completely hams. Oh, it's so and fucking good. Betty Davis has this, like, basically, like, a middle-aged former Shirley Temple mm-hmm. whose career has gone off the rails, and she just, like, chain smokes and screams and is constantly drunk, wearing garish little girl
2: makeup, and just... Ugh. Speaking of, uh, wrecked careers and bitter clingers on, of, clingers on to the past, I, uh... I really love Norma Desmond from Sunset Boulevard, this, um... Yes! This silent movie star who her fame has evaporated with the advent of the talkie. And oh. she just lives in this heap of her own delusions about her continued relevance.
1: Oh my god, The just so many great lines from her too. I am
2: big, it's the pictures that got small. Oh, fuck, I love her so much. I know you wouldn't do anything, Joe. I wouldn't let you.
1: (laughs) And yet there's this pity for her because it's like, I mean, Me Too didn't exist yet as a movement. But, like, people knew to a certain extent what, what the industry did to girls. Yep. Like, they knew this was a woman who was just, like, chewed up fucking just all the money squeezed out of her and just thrown aside and just how much that poisoned her brain. Mm-hmm. And it's so compelling and she's so much more interesting than the whatever the love interest was. I mean she was okay.
2: Yeah, the love interest is pretty good, fine. but Norma is fine, the point of the movie.
1: Yeah, but I mean she's not fucking Norma Desmond. Ugh. Making her ex-husband be her chauffeur. Holy shit, your faith could never.
2: Making her ex-husband prepare a bed for her younger lover. That moment in the garage where he tells him, I was Madame's first husband, is so fucking fucked up. I remember I was like all ready for some kind of hammy reveal and it just fucking knocked me speechless. I was like, that is so fucking disgusting. Yeah, God, it's oh, it's God. so unclean. I, I fucking love that movie.
1: It's amazing, just all time favorite. I oh, oh. Going back to written fiction, uh, she's sort of a minor character, but there uh, there's a Wilkie Collins novel called The Woman in White. I love it. It's got these great oversized, like crazy characters, and one of my favorites. She's in there very briefly. Is a woman named Jane Catherick. She's the mother of. The eponymous woman in white, and she's just the biggest bitch who has ever lived, (laughs) does not shed a tear, like her own, someone very close to her dies, and her response is, there, I have taken off my white gloves and put on black gloves, in response, are you satisfied? (laughs) Just basically like she's utterly cold, and it's, it
2: rocks. That's such an importance of being (laughs) earnest line, like... To lose one parent might be excused as misfortune. Yeah, to lose both smacks <laughs> of carelessness. Very careless.
1: Oh God! And she's just like this stone cold bitch. And and she's only in there briefly for one chapter. And I'm like, oh, I I want I want a novel of this woman. Just nothing but this this nightmare of a woman. Just, oh, that's very good to me. She's just the best. I love
2: that book. I, I think love that book. just just to to put a ribbon on my part of this section (laughs) my favorite woman in in all of film is vanessa redgrave's performance as sister jean of the angels and the devils Mm. and she is this hunchbacked sexually frustrated nun who becomes obsessed with a local priest and starts to have these ecstatic sexualized religious visions of him and I mean I have I have just never felt such a complete connection to someone in fiction. She has this incredible dream early in the movie where she watches him walk by her convent through some bars in a little a little undercroft and she has this vision of him as Christ and he walks to her across a lake and she starts to wash his feet with her hair and the wind picks up and it exposes her her hump her scoliosis and there are all these onlookers who start to laugh and jeer at her and she starts to cry but she also gets up and and screams back at them i'm beautiful i'm beautiful and i mean i've 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 just never seen anything in a movie that made me feel the way that that did it's so incredible oh, wow. it, it's so incredible To see all of these ideas of this woman, which are all ultimately coming from inside of her, just rubbing up against each other like chunks of a glacier. Mm. It's it's astonishing.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's go. Let's go old school. Fucking Regan and Goneril from King Lear. I love them. Massive bitches just fucking with their dad. Much respect. Absolute. Absolute legends. Just, just toying with him, sending him back and forth, cutting his entourage in half each and every single time until he's just driven mad. <laughs>
2: <sighs> big, big um, Lady Macbeth fan over here.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. People blame her, but it's like, you know what? He he got in touch with her for a reason. He knew what he had to do, but he didn't have the balls to do it. And exactly. he knew that she would, like, boost him toward it.
2: Also a big Tamara fan from uh, Titus Andronicus. Mm. that bitch is stone cold
1: mm-hmm. let's see um, in terms of uh, the movie Fire Walk With Me, Laura Palmer oh
2: Jesus Christ I think, this,
1: I think this really illustrates kind of what the crux of it is about like female pain Like people loved Laura Palmer when she was just a corpse wrapped in plastic on a beach but in Fire Walk With Me she was a fully fledged character just going through the absolute fucking hell that you go through in that situation and audiences couldn't stand it they found it too off-putting to see that but it's like that's real like that's the reality of it she this is what the human went through right and I think it's so telling that the audience like accepted her murder more than they accepted her attempts to survive
2: I absolutely
1: agree, and it's that. so gut-wrenching and real. And like David Lynch's horror horror comes from the fact that he's a very empathetic person in his art. Mm-hmm. In a massive way, he takes female suffering very seriously and portrays it in an empathetic way. And it's so disgusting to me that people were are offended when he portrays female suffering in a way that truly, truly like goes into the depths of. Here's what this would do to a human soul
2: right and and here's what it does do when it happens in real life every goddamn day
1: oh yeah 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 like the actress who played who played a uh, laura palmer says that she's been approached numerous times by by women who were raped by their own fathers like laura palmer was and they thanked her and said like you got it right that's what it's like that's exactly what it's like you know they they you showed this and made it real and sympathetic and and truthful, and you gave it the respect and, and, you know, consideration that it deserved. And, like, how many films actually do that? If there is an incest thing, it might be, like, a little subplot off at the side, and it's just like, oh, look, ew. Yeah. And it doesn't get into the psychic damage that it would do, but, like, by censoring that, it's like, that's so real and it's too much for people. And the fact that David Lynch saw fit to humanize and really developed this this character that was in a way kind of objectified by the narrative, like, and that just how badly audiences rejected it, like says a whole lot about our culture. And it says some, I think, not very good things about our culture <laughs> that people rejected it so much. I agree.
2: It's, it's really astonishing too, because... It comes in the wake of and builds on an image of Leland, her father that is right. that is also complex and, if not exculpatory, then empathetic. Right. You know it's it's clear that he has also been victimized in this way right. when he tells his story about the man at the lake who asked him if he wanted to play with matches. Right. And, you know and and his. His, he sweats, his, he shakes, and it's so clear that there's something there that he does not have the ability to say, which is, is something that Lynch is so wonderful about, that he can create these stories that are visible, but not tangible. Right. But to go after that and make Firewalk with me, where we get this complete picture of Laura as a, a deeply fucked up, hurt person... And we have to go through knowing that this other person we know is a complete human being did this to her. Right. And, and you know, it, it's all embodied in the moment where she sees him come out of the house, which is one of the most scalding things I've ever seen in a movie. It's unbearable. I think that's very important.
1: Right, right. Yeah, and it's just, it's, it's such... God, it's so fucking powerful and so fucking real too that she's not this, like, I don't know, Christian martyr that she's, like, she's doing coke. She's, you know, acting out. She's doing all this stuff because, like, that's what you do. Right. In that situation, that's what anyone does. And audiences couldn't handle it. No, they really couldn't. (sighs) Yeah, yeah. David Lynch is amazing. I could, oh, God, I love him. He's the man. You wrote uh, Dolores Hayes from lolita
2: oh yeah i i I think it's an often under discussed topic that even though we mm. see her from a canted perspective right Lolita herself is an unpleasant child, right, you know as as children are and have a right to be right, but she's not some she's not some little angel, she's not a cherub
1: right, right. She's not licking a giant lolly with her hair and ringlets.
2: <laughs> right. And and Humbert Humbert sometimes uses this to excuse what he's doing and sometimes to flagellate himself for having stolen real childhood from her. But I think it's very powerful that she is so fucked up and strident and nasty and bratty and just like emotionally dysfunctional in a, it. It's sometimes in a very a way that even to Humbert is very unappealing. Right. You know, she she is continually at war with the fantasy that he wants to make her live in.
1: Right. And she doesn't have, she. I mean, she's a kid. So it's not like she can, like, soundly defeat it. Right. She doesn't have a flaming sword, but she's kind of, like, bashing at the walls of it to the limited amount that she can. And it's so truthful, uh-huh. that portrayal. Yeah, it is. And, what, and I find it remarkable too that it's a book that understands that kind of abuse so well and, and in such depth where so few artists get it right. Like so few of them go there and really fully reckon with all the emotional stuff of it. It's amazing because it's like child sexual abuse is not rare at all. No, so, so many people go through it and yet like depictions in pop culture really don't deal with the reality of it ever. And it's like, how how is this a thing that so many people experience but we don't have any really truthful portrayals of it, any any, we have so few ways to approach it that are like honest and really get into the emotional depths of it that aren't like cutesy maudlin you know, or or like ah, revenge story, I now everything's fine. And it's kind of remarkable that that it's so rare, but also that he pulled it off so fucking well.
2: It's quite something. Yeah.
1: And on that cheerful note, <laughs> let us wind down because we've been talking for uh, God, a a very long time. Um, where can our audience find and support your
2: work? Uh, you, can, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at scumbelievable. Like, unbelievable, but with scum. And I'm also, I have a Patreon, Gretchen Falcon Martin, it's under my own name, where I write film criticism and post-original horror fiction. At present, I am working on the first draft of my first big deal published novel, Manhunt. Mm. Clinging to the edges of the schedule with my fingernails, but I'm going to make it. Nice. And that will be out not this march but the march after and in the gap between turning in the first draft and doing revisions I am also writing a little novelette which will be released for sale it's called Jacob's Children and it's about a locked apartment where a lonely man dies of a heart attack and his body is fed on by cockroaches wow and the story is about the cockroaches who are, are hatched on his body. Nice. Yeah, just keeping it light here, <laughs> here in 2020. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's it's a, a
1: spiritual sequel to The Metamorphosis, but it's a family comedy. You know, Gregor's <laughs> doing pretty good for himself. He's got a cockroach wife. He's got cockroach kids. He's, he's making the most out of it. He's turned lemons into lemonade. Good for him. He found a guy to eat. Like, he's killing it. <laughs> Oh, thank you for coming on and talking about this extremely heavy topic at times.
2: Honestly, this was so much fun. Thank you for having me back, Raquel. Oh, God. off, Awesome.
1: Anytime. Any fucking time. Oh, God. And thank you, audience, for listening. That's all for this episode. If you like what you heard, head on over to patreon.com slash writegood and subscribe. Subscribers get bonus episodes, some of my own very spooky fiction, early access to content, and an invitation to the Kitty Sneezes Discord where we hold group write ins and critique each other's work. And be sure to join us next time when we talk about bad writing advice. Until then, keep writing good.
0: Kittysneezes.com
1: in color.